Joshua chapter 7, and we are going to look at a, uh, a passage of Scripture. Uh, very interesting, you know. Um, every time I uh, look at a passage of Scripture and you think, you know, oh, I've, I've heard this story, I know what this text says, and a lot of times we, we tend to skip over things that are familiar uh, without really giving a lot of thought um, to it. We think we've heard this before, we've heard sermons on this before, so certainly we know all that there is to be known here, and then we just pass along. Uh, But Joshua uh, chapter 7 contains a very familiar uh, story and a very familiar setting. Uh, So why don't we just read, we're going to read the entirety of chapter 7, and then afterward we're going to be looking a little bit back at chapter 6 to kind of uh, set the tone uh, for the passage, and we'll, we'll make a few remarks, and hopefully it'll be a a blessing and, and uh, edifying to you. Uh, Joshua chapter 7 and verse 7. Pardon me, Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethhaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not make all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs to their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord, God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. 
In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels. Then I coveted them, and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore to this day the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Here in uh, Joshua chapter 7, we see a very, as I said before, a very well-noted, a very well-known story. Uh, In the previous chapter, Joshua chapter 6, we see probably the most well-known victory of the Israelites as they entered into Canaan, and one of their first encounters as they entered into Canaan, that was the conquest of Jericho. Jericho, as you recall, was a a, a very large city, a very uh, fortified city. Uh, and in previous chapters, we can look and see Joshua, according to the plan of the Lord, sending spies to spy out Canaan. And they came to Jericho and brought report back of uh, Jericho. Uh, we know that they traveled into Jericho. They were uh, put up in the house of Rahab. And they're held by Rahab, um, sent out uh, secretively uh, so that they would not be caught. And... Uh, Because of her faith in the Lord, because of uh, her actions there, uh, God promised to spare Rahab. 
And he does, as we'll see uh, here in, in chapter 6 and chapter 7. Uh, but after chapter uh, 6 and the great victory that was wrought over Jericho, uh, we find a, a very um, sad word. Just when things are going great, you know, when somebody comes and gives you good news and, and uh, you talk to your doctor and, oh man, this, the test came back good and this was well and all of these things look great, but that's one word you never want to hear, right? Well, in some cases, if you're getting bad news, that's one word you do want to hear. But here, everything is going great for the children of Israel. They've had this great victory. God miraculously provided Jericho into their hands by, by unorthodox means. If you recall, uh, the, the means that God used to bring down Jericho was what? Them walking around the city. Not a very uh, strong military strategy. He says, I want you to walk around one time every day for six days. Then on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. It's going to be a great, a great climax here once you walk around that seventh time. And then they shouted, and the walls of the city fell. Certainly a great miracle that God performed. So here after chapter 7, Joshua, of course, turns his sights to Ai. Going from one of the greatest cities in Canaan that they would have to conquer to one of the least cities that they would have to conquer. But in chapter 7, we see what happens. Uh, Joshua sends in spies, and uh, he tells them, I want you to spy out Ai. And they came back, and they said, Joshua, this is a piece of cake. You only need to send two or 3,000 people. Don't make everybody labor, because Ai is a very small city. But we see that they suffered defeat because of the sin of Achan. And I want to take a, a few moments just to, to look at, first of all, in chapter 6, we're going to go back and look at God's instruction to the Israelites before going into Jericho. Uh, The second thing that we'll look at is uh, Achan's sin and the revelation of his sin. And then the last thing we'll look at today is the judgment that was wrought upon uh, Achan and upon the children of Israel for uh, the sin of Achan. But if you would, turn back with me to chapter 6, and we're only going to look at a few verses from chapter 6. And these were God's instructions to the Israelites before they uh, conquered Jericho. Notice verse number 15. Uh, The scripture says, On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day, and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. This was according to the instructions of God. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within, pardon me, all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city." 
So notice uh, the instructions that God had given through Joshua to the people of Israel immediately before they entered into Jericho. And the instructions uh, had several parts to them. The first one, he says, everything in within Jericho is to be destroyed. In verse number uh, 15, or pardon me, verse number 16. Strike that. Verse number 17. We just read it. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Notice that is an all-encompassing uh, command. Everything within Jericho is devoted for destruction. This includes men, women, the young, the old, oxen, sheep, donkeys. Every possession that is within Jericho is going to be destroyed. With the exception of Rahab. So he gives the exception for Rahab because she hid the messengers Uh, God was going to spare her and all that were in her house. Another exception that he gives is for things that cannot reasonably be destroyed. Precious metals, for instance, um, and iron, things like that, are, are to be set aside, not for the people of Israel, but for the treasury of the Lord. So he said everything is to be destroyed except for Rahab and everyone who is in her house. And all the gold, the silver, all of the precious metals, the iron, the bronze, all of those things are not for you. They are for me. They are, God is saying they are for my treasury. These are not to be taken by you. And a warning is given with this. In verse number 18. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. And basically, this encompasses everything in Jericho. You are not to take of anything in Jericho. And then he says, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So he gives a command, everything is to be destroyed except for Rahab and all of the silver, the gold, the bronze, the iron, all of those metals are to be given to the treasury of the Lord. They're to be set aside for the for God's use. But he also gives the penalty. He said, if you break this commandment, as, you see, as we see later, if you break this covenant that I am giving you, and take of the things that are devoted to destruction, then the camp of Israel will be a thing for destruction. And I will bring trouble upon Israel. We'll see later in chapter 7, as we've just read, how this is reiterated to Joshua when God speaks to him and tells him to rid the Israelites of any uh, of the the thing that was devoted to the Lord. So we see the command of God. God's command is very clear, unquestionably clear. I don't think you could look at the command of God and find any loopholes and say, well, God said destroy everything, but what he really meant was don't destroy everything. You can take whatever you want. Whatever you see that you like, that's for you. So we see God's instruction. The second thing that we see is the revelation of Achan's sin, and this comes about in kind of a roundabout way. After the victory at Jericho, uh, as we have already read, Joshua sent spies to Ai. They came back, gave him this glowing report of the marvelous victory that they're going to have at Ai. Just send a few men up. Don't make all of the people toil for this victory. 
sit, leave some home, let them rest. They've just had a, a very taxing thing with Jericho. Um, so he sends them up. But the expectation that they had was not met. They expected to have this quick, speedy victory, uh, those at AI to just surrender and just be done with it. And, you know, we've heard what happened at Jericho. Certainly we're not going to fight you guys. Uh, you can come in, take all that you want, plunder our city. Uh, but that's not what happens. And the Bible says that the men of, uh, the men of Israel fled from the men of AI. Instead of having this, this uh, marked victory at AI, they were soundly and quickly defeated. The Bible says that the, the men of AI pursued them. Not only did they repel them and say, no, you can't have our city, but they pursued them and said, no, you're, I mean, we're going to pursue you. This is our city and you can't, you can't have any of it. And we see eventually that uh, as a result of this defeat that 36 men of Israel were killed. And after this, um, Joshua, of course, is just distraught. And in verse, uh, verse number 6, the Bible says he tore his clothes, he fell on his face uh, before the ark of the Lord, he and the elders of Israel, and he cries out to the Lord, and he says, Lord, what have we done? Is that what he says? No, he says, Lord, what, what have you done? And the really interesting thing, and we won't really delve into this for, for sake of time, but Joshua, in essence, proceeds to accuse God of being unfaithful to the promise that he had given to the Israelites. And in fact, much of the murmuring that the children of Israel did against Moses there in the wilderness, we see right before they crossed the Red Sea, um, what were they saying to Moses? Why have you brought us out here? Just to kill us. I mean, we should have been content to stay in Egypt and die there with all of the benefits that we had. I mean, don't forget, I mean, forget the part that, that, that we were slaves there, but um, we should have been content to stay there. We see this same attitude from Joshua, not at a leader of Israel, but at God. He says, why have you brought this people over Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? Now notice, this is completely different from what God had told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. After Moses died, the Lord came to Joshua and, jo and said, Joshua, Moses is dead. And he gave him clear commands. I want you to, to rise up, you and all of this people, and I want you to cross over the Jordan River into the land that I am giving to the Israelites. But essentially what Joshua is saying here is, God, you had it totally wrong. We should have been content to stay there on the other side of Jordan. We shouldn't have attempted to cross over here at all. Why have you brought us over here to kill us? Just to have us destroyed by the Amorites? Is that what you were planning? Joshua here essentially is accusing God of lying. What you've told us in, the, in that first chapter about giving us all of this land, that wasn't true. You've brought us over here just to kill us. Just to destroy us. We look at this and we say, man, how foolish. But how often do we do the same thing? 
Often we look at God and we, we look at his word and we see the promises of God. We see the commands of God. And many times when we have uh, sin in our lives, we don't look at ourselves and say, Lord, what is wrong with us? We say, God, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you doing what I think you should be doing? Why is my life a mess? Why are things not going the way that I think they ought to? God, you need to get your act together. But that's exactly what Joshua was accusing the Lord with. Now notice the Lord's reply to Joshua in in, uh, verse 10. Um, He tells them, get up. Now, I think of falling before the Lord and tearing my clothes and crying out to God as something that would be good, right? Um, But in this case, the Lord said, no, get up. Why, Why are you falling on your face? He repeats that in verse number 13. Get up. Don't stay here. And the reason that he tells him this is he says, Israel has sinned. Verse 11. Israel have sinned. They have transgressed my covenant. I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have hid them or put them among their own belongings. And this is why Israel could not stand before their enemies. God gives a plain explanation as to why Israel was soundly defeated at Ai, is because there was sin among the people of Israel. And notice in verse number 12, we see not only the explanation, but we also see a promise by God to Joshua. He says, Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs to their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. And then he says this, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. This is a powerful statement by God. I think sometimes looking at chapter 6, we kind of underestimate what God truly meant. He says, I don't want you to take any of the things devoted for destruction. Because when you do take those devoted things, the camp of Israel will be the thing that is devoted for destruction. And what he's telling him here in verse number 12 is he's saying, just as I was angered at Jericho and as as certain as I was going to destroy Jericho for their sin and their wickedness, surely I will destroy you. Israel, you have become a thing devoted for destruction. You are that thing. And unless you remove the the devoted things from among you, unless you remove the things that you've stolen from among you, I will be with you no more. Just as I was with you to give you victory over, over Jericho, so I will be against you and will give you no victory you will only face defeat. It's a powerful statement. So he gives them this plan. He says, I want you to get up. I want you to tell all of the people, tomorrow we are going to gather together. And uh, he walked them right through it. We already have read it, so I won't belabor the point. But he says, I want you to single out the household um, that has committed this sin. And so he does. Uh, Verse number 16 through verse 19, we see... Joshua rising early in the morning, 
uh, taking first by tribe, then by clan, then by household, and then coming finally to the man that was responsible for this uh, sin, coming to Achan. In verse 19, after they've singled out Achan, uh, Joshua confronts him and says to him, uh, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And here we see a recounting of Achan's sin. And I want to spend a little bit of time here and then we'll move on and see the judgment that God pronounced against Achan. Notice um, Achan's, the progression to Achan's sin. Verse number 20, he says, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. He says, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful coat or cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. The first thing he says, the thing that led to his sin, was what he saw. He said, first of all, I saw these beautiful things. I saw them. Now, let's notice what he saw. Uh, Verse number 21, he saw a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Now, what about this cloak? Um, Cloak wouldn't be something that would be overly exciting. Would it? Well, notice that what the Bible says about this cloak, it was a cloak from Shinar. Uh, Shinar was known as, as Babylon or Babylonia uh, in biblical times. And Babylonia was one of the, the chief cities of Mesopotamia. It was a very uh, wealthy city. It was a very a culturally edgy city. Um, it, was, it was in, if we could use that, that word. It was uh, anything that came out of Babylon was top-notch. It was chic. It was the going thing. It was the thing to have, right? Um, So he saw this beautiful cloak from Shinar. Uh, He also saw 200 shekels of silver, 50 shekels uh, weight bar of gold. And he says, when I saw these things, I was just, I was just overwhelmed. I saw them, he says, I coveted them, and he says, eventually, I took them. So, I, I, saw, this, I saw this quote that was very interesting. Um, so he saw them, and then he coveted. It's a very fine line, isn't there, between seeing something that is very desirable to have, and almost without even thinking, uh, we go from seeing something to saying, man, I wish that was mine. I wish I possessed that thing that someone else has. Uh, in this case, this was something that he coveted that, that belonged, well, for the, clo- the cloak was to be destroyed. But the silver and gold was to go to the Lord. And so not only did he covet something that the uh, inhabitants of Jericho had owned, but he coveted something that was expressly God's. He says, I want that for myself. Now, the cloak, maybe we can't quite understand. To put it in, uh, I guess, in in more modern terms, and I hope this doesn't do any injustice to the text, but uh, the cloak from Shinar could be considered a a, a piece of designer clothing. Uh, 
Maybe uh, someone, a, a very recognizable name. You know, if you're buying a purse, you know, you want a Louis Vuitton or a, a Michael Kors or some other name brand that is just, man, when you see that, you don't even have, the, the purse could be terrible, but man, it has that logo on it. It is, that is, that is the thing to have. That's the thing to possess. He desired that. Now, the rest, I think, is pretty self-explanatory, right? If you see silver and gold just laying around, you know, that doesn't, um, that has appeal for everyone, does it not? The uh, 200 shekels of silver weighed approximately six pounds and uh, was estimated at roughly 15, in our, in our currency today, maybe 15 to $30,000. The, uh, the gold was a pound and a quarter of gold, 20 ounces of gold. And that, in our, and going by current market standards, that would be $30,000 worth of gold. But some of the scholars have estimated that just these two things alone would be far more than any worker could, could earn in their entire lifetime. This was not just a large sum. This was a fortune. It would have made Achan extremely wealthy. Extremely. Now, he could look at the cloak and say, well, I mean, God, you're just going to destroy it anyway. We're just going to burn it. And why burn something that's so beautiful and so useful? Maybe that's the way he framed it in his mind. But in taking, in, in, in coveting this, what Aiken was saying, and I saw this quote by Francis Schaeffer, it said about, he, he wrote of this cloak, it marked somebody as being a man of the world, as being recognized. Aiken bothered to take it because he wanted to be marked with success. Aiken's sin then had two parts, simple theft and a prideful desire deep within his heart. Our thoughts and uh, reveal a lot about us. Our thoughts are the, the breeding grounds of our actions. As we see here, Aiken said, I saw it. Nothing wrong with seeing it. He said, I coveted it. I desired it to be mine. And then the action that it developed in was him taking it. And he says, after I saw it, after I coveted it, he says, I took it. Now, Seven pounds of, of precious metals and a cloak wouldn't be that difficult to hide. That's exactly what he did. After that, going in and, and plundering the city, destroying everything that was there, uh, he snuck this out. He took it home uh, to his tent, and he buried it in his tent. And he confesses this to, to Joshua. He says, when I saw it, I coveted it, I took it. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. He saw, he coveted, he took, and then he hid it. Now by taking, by taking these things, and even it could be argued by coveting these things, not only did Achan break the express commandment of God that he had given to the children of Israel just before entering Jericho, but we see also a, a violation of the first Eighth and tenth commandments. Remember the first commandment, thou, you shall have no other gods before me. By taking of these precious things, or in, in Achan's sight, these precious things, these valuables, this gold, this silver, this cloak, he indicated that these things were more important than the command of God. 
what he saw and what he desired himself. I am more important than God. He lifted up this, this gold and silver to a place where it should not be. And he worshipped it instead of the Lord. Not only that, but the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Achan took of something that belonged not to him, but to those in Jericho and to God. God had said, the silver, the gold, the bronze, the iron, all of these things are to be taken into my treasury. These are mine. These are not yours. But he stole from God. And also we see a violation of the Tenth Commandment in coveting what did not belong to him. So what happens when we sin? We try our very best to hide it from anyone who could find out. Isn't that right? Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But yet, isn't that the first thing that we do after we sin and we recognize that we have sinned? Many times it is. Instead of confessing it, instead of forsaking that sin and repenting of it, many times we say, well, if I hide it, nobody's going to find out. It's going to be all good. No one will know this about me. But God is the one who sees. And he is the judge. And here we see Achan did the exact same thing. He said, I hid it. Now, I, I want us to notice here that, that this sinful progression is not something that Achan was extremely flawed, and for this reason, he coveted, and he took it, and he hid it. This is something that's universal to all of us. In fact, if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 6, we see this exact same progression in the sin of Adam and Eve in taking of the fruit. Genesis 3, 6 so, says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Notice, she saw, she noticed that it would be desired to make one wise, something that was uh, appealed to her flesh. And then she took it, and she ate. She violated the commandment of God. And only two verses later, in verse number 8 of Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve doing the exact same thing that Achan did, hiding from the presence of God. When they heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid themselves from his presence because they recognized that they had sinned, and they thought they could hide it from the Lord. The same is true for us. We cannot escape uh, our, our flesh. We cannot escape this, this natural tendency. And this natural, I, I would say, tendency, it's not, a, it's not a flaw that we have and a tendency, but it's a desire that we have to sin. Our flesh rises up within us and we, we want to fulfill the desires of our flesh. And so we yield to temptation. We see something that we desire, so we covet it and we take it. And then we hide it. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 16. 
Bible says all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We are constantly bombarded in our culture by having the greatest and latest gadgets and cars and homes and all of these things. And many times if we're not careful, we look at that and we say, you know what, I desire this more than I desire what God wants for me. I desire this more than the Lord. Instead of spending time in prayer, instead of time, uh, spending time reading the word of God and teaching my family and, and striving to be holy and righteous and upright, we take that time and maybe if I pick up an extra shift, I'll be able to buy this. Or maybe if I do this and do that, then I can get this or get that. If I, maybe if I withhold my offering this week from church, from God, maybe I can do what, what it is I really want to do. We see someone promoted at work, and what happens? Instead of being joyful for them because God has given them this new position, and God has given them maybe a raise that goes along with it, what do we do? Man, I wish that was me. Why can't that be me? I do more than they do. I'm a harder worker than they are. We uplift ourselves instead of humbling ourselves before God and being content with what God has provided us with. Many times, over and over and over, we see the same type of sin in our lives as we do in Achan's. So we see the revelation of Achan's sin, and Achan confesses. Um, when confronted, he confesses. Notice one thing that's that's. Absent. There's a couple things we need to notice about Aiken's confession. Is that number uh, number one? It was not. It it was prompted. It was not spontaneous. Uh, Joshua comes before the children of Israel and says, "Tomorrow, this is what we're going to do." But at no point between the time that he announced it and the time that they eventually came down, whittling down to Aiken, did Aiken come forward and say, "You know what? I took it. I'm sorry." There's a difference between. Um, confessing sin when we're abruptly faced with it by our, our friend or family member or by our uh, loved one and recognizing the sin in our own lives and through the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit confessing that sin. But notice he never actually showed any remorse for it either. He admitted to it, but he never said, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I, in, in reading um, a few commentaries on this passage, that one thing I, I thought was very interesting is that m- most um, commentators that I read uh, mentioned something to the effect of, had Aiken confessed before it got to this point, there's no question that God would have forgiven him and pardoned him. But it's only until he got to this point uh, that judgment falls upon Achan and upon his family. Notice uh, verse number 22. We'll see the judgment that God pronounces upon Achan. Verse 22 through 26. Joshua checks out his story. They go to his tent, and sure enough, they find the cloak with the silver and gold underneath it, and they brought them before all the people of Israel. And the Bible says that uh, Joshua and all Israel took Achan and the silver, the cloak, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. 
And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble upon us? The Lord brings trouble on you this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. We need to see, first of all, the, the personal judgment that fell upon Achan. And this was the destruction of Achan and all that he had. Now there is, is some, uh, some disagreement, albeit most, uh, most people are, are kind of on the same page. Um, some people believe that only Achan was the one of his family that was killed. And they would say that his family was brought there to the Valley of Achor to witness uh, the execution, his stoning. But his family wasn't killed, they would say. Uh, and they would look at um, verse number uh, verse number 25. And they would see, uh, the Lord uh, brings trouble on you, and Israel stoned him, stoned him with stones. And then everything after that, they burned them with fire, would be talking about all of his, his livestock, all of his possessions. Um, and then they uh, burned them with fire and then stoned them with stones. They would say that the, the second stoned is different than the first stoned. It's a different word in the Hebrew. Um, and basically, they're talking about raising up a heap of stones. Um, upon him and upon all of his possessions. But his family actually wasn't killed, they would argue. Um, the vast majority uh, of, of commentators believe that, no, Achan, along with his children uh, and his oxen and all of his possessions, were stoned. Uh, this would seem to be the, the more... Uh, I would say a little bit more textual interpretation. If you look in Joshua chapter 22 and verse number 20, uh, the Bible says, Did not Achan the son of Zerah break faith in the matter of the devoted things, and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel? We'll see that in just a moment, how that was uh, came to fruition. And the Bible says, He did not perish alone for his iniquity. So many people would look at this and say, No, not only was Achan stoned, but all of his family with him. The, we, we also see that there is really no differentiation um, when it comes to his children and his belongings. Um, and in fact, we see his children listed, the cloak, the bar of gold, um, and then his donkey, sheep, tent. And then we have an all-encompassing statement that says, and all that he had were brought before the people of Israel, and all of the children of Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. So most people would argue that no, Achan and all of his family were involved in this, and Achan's family perished because of the wrongdoing of Achan. Well, that raises the question, is this fair? Is it right for God to kill a man and his family because of a man's sin? I mean, doesn't the Bible say that a, a, a son will not uh, perish for the sins of the father? Isn't that something that's in Scripture? Well, you have to remember, this goes back to chapter 6. God here in chapter 6 had told the people of Israel, collectively, you shall not take. And when they, as, as the covenant people of God, committed sin, it was not just one person that was under the judgment of God, uh, in chapter 6, God states it. In chapter 7, God restates it. Uh, all of the camp of Israel is devoted for destruction because of the sin. 
The sin that Achan committed not only affected him, but it affected all of the children of Israel. In fact, Joshua chapter 22 and verse 20 that we've, that we've just noted, wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel because of the sin, because Achan had broken the covenant that the Lord had made to them. So we see Achan was killed uh, and his family. Not only was Achan killed and his family, um, it's very interesting to note that his wife is not listed. Um, some, some people, and going, I'm kind of skipping around a little bit, going back to, to Achan and his family being killed, some people would say Achan's family was killed because they partook uh, in the, uh, the crime, so to speak. After all, how, how well can you dig a hole in your tent and bury a cloak in gold and silver without the people that live in that tent with you knowing about it? So surely they had to be party um, after the fact, after he sinned and taking it. Surely they knew about it, and they're, they're, uh, thereby they were guilty as well. Uh, the Bible doesn't uh, tell us that they had knowledge of it, but uh, someone make that argument as well. But we see the personal judgment, and then we see the collective judgment. The Bible says all of Israel um, had the wrath of God uh, upon them because of Achan's sin. And we see this uh, fulfilled in the, uh, the defeat of the children of Israel at Ai. And 36 men of Israel being killed. Again, this is the, what God had specifically told Joshua. This is why the children of Israel could not stand before Ai, because there is sin among the Israelites. So not only did Achan uh, die because of this sin, but also many men of the children of Israel. Many families were fatherless and husbandless because of Achan's sin. So we see a collective judgment. And again, this is going back to verse number 12. They have become devoted for destruction because of this sin. So we see the judgment pronounced. And then I think the, a second part, and maybe a lesser extent, um, we see a memorial established to mark this transgression and the destruction of Achan. Notice verse 26. The Bible says they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Uh, the Bible attributes uh, the naming of that valley to the stoning of Achan. Uh, the word Achor means trouble. And God, told, uh, God had told Achan through Joshua, we will trouble you this day. Why have you troubled the children of Israel? We will trouble you this day. And they stoned him. So we see the naming of this place. Uh, of course, we can see the correlation between Achan and Achor, even in English. And the words in Hebrew are, are very close as well. Uh, and the similarity kind of ties them together. So we see the naming of this, the Valley of Achor. And it's very interesting that not only is this uh, mentioned in the book of Joshua, but also in the book of Isaiah and in the Minor Prophets as well, uh, the prophets cite or refer to this Valley of Achor. So this was uh, something that was uh, continued to be well-known uh, throughout Israel's history. And then the second thing that we see is that a heap of stones was raised up over him. In verse 26, the first part of that, of that verse. 
Seven times in the book of Joshua, we see uh, a great heap of stones being raised up. And uh, each and every time, I believe, they're, they're set up for a specific purpose. The first one that we see was after they crossed over the Jordan. And uh, I guess kind of as a, uh, an explanation, uh, they told, the Lord told Moses, when, you, when your children come and ask, what do these stones mean? Uh, then you can recount for them all that I did for you in bringing you across the Jordan. I think in a like manner, when they went to the Valley of Achor and saw these great heap of stones raised up, this was a memorial and a testament to the, uh, to number one, the possibility of sin. There's not one of us here that is above sin. We we hear of of many. Um, and I was, talking to, I was talking to Joe this past week, and he's like, what are you teaching on, man? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm split in five different ways. But uh, one thing that's been, been really um, prevalent in our, I guess, in, in Christian news is uh, we see many people that, that once claimed to be Christians apostatizing from the faith. And um, there's a, there a whole, a whole uh, lesson that could be taught on, on that but none of us is above that. We look at these people and we say, well, you know, these people committed that great sin, but, you know, I just thank God that I'm not like them. And, but even in that thought itself is the very beginnings of sin. When we think too much of ourselves, the Bible says, uh, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So we need to take heed to ourselves. But uh, this was a memorial to the Israelites that not only of the likelihood and the possibility of them sinning against God and sinning against uh, their brother, but also the judgment that God will bring against sin. So we see this memorial established. Uh, the last thing I, w- I wanted to, to draw quick attention to is a, a little bit of application. Um, personally, I look at this story and I see myself in Aiken. I see the tendency in my flesh, and I think the tendency of all of us, if we're not, if we're, if we're honest, uh, and see the, the desire that our flesh has to sin. The Bible says in, uh, talks about in Galatians that the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit wars against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other. And that is a battle that we have within, it, within us each and every day. Our flesh and the spirit of God. Think for a moment, and very briefly, and a lot of time could be developed to this or, or devoted to this to uh, develop this thought more fully. But think of the many benefits that Aiken had been par- uh, partaker of. As a child, hearing stories from his parents about how they escaped from Egypt and all of the miracles that God performed for them water from a rock, manna from heaven. Even just in that last chapter, chapter 6, seeing this miraculous victory over Jericho. How could somebody that experienced such great things be one that turned his back on God and his commands? Well, put yourself in Achan's position. Think about the amazing things that we have, the testimony of Scripture all of Christian history, seeing the hand of God providentially leading and preserving. We can see God's hand at work in our own life. See God providing over and over and over. Man, it's awesome. 
But just like Achan, we're often discontent with what God has given. Often like Achan, we elevate other things and other people to the place that God and only God deserves. Just like Achan, we have transgressed God's law. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Just like Achan, we are covenant breakers. We are in Adam. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. All of those in Adam die because in Adam we have sinned. You say, man, this is, this is a really depressing Sunday school lesson. Remind me to talk to pastor afterward and never have you teach again. This is the beautiful part. And honestly, this is the part that, man, this is, this is the part that really... Um, that really impacts me. Notice the, the verse 26 again. Notice it. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Unlike Achan, we've seen many similarities, have we not? Unlike Achan, God turned the wrath that I deserved upon Jesus Christ. He does not punish me. He does not judge me and deal with me according to my sins because they are many. Instead, God turned the wrath upon his only sinless son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Many similarities can be shown between us and Achan, but unlike Achan, we have not suffered for our sin. We have been recipients of the grace of God, and he has turned his wrath upon his only son. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 through 26, common verses For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace. We are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. God satisfied the requirements of his justice and his holiness through his sinless, perfect son. And Jesus Christ was sacrificed in my place, in your place. What great benefits we have in Christ. So we see the application. We are not recipients of the wrath of God, but we are recipients of grace. But lest we use grace as a license to sin, let us all be reminded that sin has its consequences. Yes, we as, as believers, as the people of God, we will never suffer eternally for our sin. Jesus took upon him the payment for our sin. But in time, sin does have its consequences. Sin will destroy your marriage. Sin can destroy your relationship with your coworker. It can cost you your job. It can cost you your livelihood. Sin can, can raise a, a walls and rifts between you and a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. Don't be mistaken, sin does have its consequences. And many times when we sin, we will suffer the consequences of our sin. Not eternally in punishment, but temporally in time. And so let us be reminded to always keep God in his rightful place 
Let us always worship him and not worship things, not worship ourselves, not be lifted up in pride and conceit as was Achan. Let's pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would help us. Lord, help us to learn a lesson from the life of Achan. And God, we are overwhelmed with gratitude, Lord, and humility at the thought of you sacrificing your only begotten Son, your sinless Son, Lord, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, so that we might inherit heaven. Father, we are so grateful. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live in light of that sacrifice. May we honor you and glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.